All right, listen up, you apes, because I'm only going to say this once. This is the big one. Maybe the final drop you'll ever make. We're looking for something special down there. A kind of void crab no one's ever seen before. A queen crab. So remember our rules. Everybody fights. Nobody quits. Try to bail. I'll make sure myself that you embrace the void. Warning, this podcast contains foul language, dark invocations, and treating women like their people. Welcome friends to episode 27 of Embrace the Void, where the spice is flowing and grokking guarantees citizenship. I'm your host, Aaron, and with me as always is my fellow traveler of the stars, GW. How you doing, buddy? I thought mopping guaranteed citizenship. Well, yeah, but they're not all playing Oxygen Not Included, though they should all be playing Oxygen Not Included because that's what I'm going to be doing a lot of now that migrating is over. <laughs> I actually just got uh, They Are Billions. What's that? Uh, it's like a base building, typical like zombie type game it's pretty interesting it's like a, a steampunk kind of version cool um and they just like you keep getting these like onslaught of more and more and more zombies to where like the last flood is like mm-hmm. at least at least a million zombies one, like one million no exaggeration zombies. no exaggeration like a dr evil worth of zombies <laughs> yeah <laughs> that, that's awesome so today we're talking about uh, a request from a fan. I think this was actually an Eric um, Eric Brewer request um, to do Starship Troopers and to talk about the differences between the book and the movie. And I love this request because I love both the book and the movie. And I think there's a really interesting discussion to be had about comparing the two of them. So we're going to get to that. But first, we have a listener question that was also a nerdy sci-fi related question i think we're going to end up doing a series of nerdy sci-fi related episodes in various parts of uh books and things but uh this is a good question that i thought i would throw to you first um since i had my out on it on twitter yeah um who uh okay so this is uh the uh twitter person techie bugger uh at uber pikey is the name asks muadib greater than Luke Skywalker. Discuss. Who? Paul Muadib. I don't know who that is. Dune. Yeah, I don't Frank know Herbert. Dune that well. Oh, you, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a failure. I know. You failed us. I'm, You're, you, like, you've brought you, shame you, on your family. You and my mom would totally get along because she's super into like sci-fi books and, and stuff like that and uh, read all of Dune and a bunch of other stuff, but yeah. I, I don't know much about it. Up if you're going to hang around here anymore. Okay, I got plenty of nerd cred, <laughs> right? Do you do you see this book? <laughs> I know you've got a six thousand page book about sound. I understand sixteen hundred, but still. Uh huh. Have you not? You not even seen the movie? Not like David Lynch, anything? Yeah, I sandworms? saw it. Like nothing? I saw it. I remember it wasn't memorable. Oh, you failure. Yeah. Uh, so so the, the, I mean, I mean, I guess because I don't know who it is, and clearly everyone knows who Luke Skywalker is. So I would say Luke Skywalker. Shameful. It's just shameful. I, I mean, I guess. No, it's fine. You know, like <laughs> objectively, the right answer was Paul Muadib. But like, thank you for playing. 
uh, we will get back to our audience on this again, apparently, once I've educated you properly on this text. And then we can uh, discuss how What Paul next? Morgan- are you going to say that Logan was a good movie? Like, is oh, that the God. next thing you're going to try to say? Yourself. <laughs> it just came out on HBO now, by the way. You should I go rewatch it. <laughs> I noticed. <laughs> yeah, no. like if I'm ever hating myself, I'll watch it. Pa- Paul Muadib is vastly better. He's uh, a transcendent, um, uh, near supreme being who brings together a bunch of important philosophical concepts, whereas Luke Skywalker is a whiny farmer who can't even seem to wield a lightsaber very effectively. So, yeah, it's an easy discussion. Um, yeah, that's very true. Luke Skywalker can't even see the present, and Paul Moadib can see the future. It's like, it's a no-brainer. One of them rides sandworms, the other one, like, I don't know, hangs around with sad people who are boring. Yeah, and, until, and once you see The Last Jedi, you'll, you'll be more vindicated by that point of I'll view. I'll feel even more right about the fact that, that Luke Skywalker is the worst of all possible um, hero archetypes. Yes. And the, yeah. the Jedis are the worst of all possible mystic space wizards. And that's all. I don't know if that's true. The Bene Gesserits and the Mentats are vastly better in every possible way. That's right. It's nerdcore. Go look it up. Go Google all of it, and then go watch the David Lynch movie, and then you can go watch the, the sci-fi miniseries about Dune, and you can read the book, which is kind of turgid, but really good, and then we'll all discuss. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely categorize myself more as a geek than a nerd. I don't... Uh, in so much as, like, I don't read that much in terms of, like, uh, graphic novels and comic books and stuff like that. I mean, I read a, a few, but I'm extremely limited on the sci-fi front. Yeah, I don't read a lot of like sci-fi, like modern sci-fi stuff. There's a whole world of of texts that are coming out all the time that I have no interest in. But like, mm-hmm. there's a constellation of classic and and some modern sci-fi texts that I think are sort of essential. But because they're philosophical reading, they're yeah. me- meant to evoke certain philosophical arguments, as we will see today with Starship Troopers. But I will say that I will ha- I have some. Uh, geek cred that you could never top, which was my mom was Gene Roddenberry's secretary, Ooh. and I used to play on the set while they were in meetings when I was in preschool. Nice. And they were going to do an episode about Spock when he was younger, and I was going to be the six-year-old Spock, but then they wind up, wound up canning that script. Interesting. Aren't you a little dark-skinned for a Vulcan? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. I, no, I think when I was a though. lot younger. Uh, uh, I wasn't as dark skinned as I am now. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> you've you've, you've swarthed out of your opportunities yeah. there. I understand. Um, no, that's cool. Our um, fans have been educating me as I've been watching through the original um, Next Gen series. Mm-hmm. They've been teaching yeah, me all about I'm definitely, the I'm definitely a Trekkie, and so is my mom. So I got that cred going. No, it's true. You've got that over me for at least several more months until I've gotten through the series. So, all right, well, we'll come back to Dune after we've you know gotten you to read the book, or at least watched one of the movies, and then we can discuss it again. Yeah. All right, shall we move on to Starship Troopers then, since you've actually seen the movie and we can discuss that? Yes. What's Chang doing? He's getting a refill on his void. So... Uh, Starship Troopers, what is your sort of initial thoughts on the movie? Like, do you like it, not like it? Do you think it's good? Do you think so? I I saw it a long time ago, like not right when it first came out because I was too young, uh, but I definitely saw it like a couple years after it came out, and I remember really enjoying it, and I remember it being kind of like 
it felt to me sort of like a B movie, almost like an Evil Dead, where it mm -hmm. was like trying to be serious, but was kind of terrible. But it was kind of good because it was terrible. Uh huh. Uh, mostly like the acting being god awful, but like the sci-fi parts of it being really good. So back then, I definitely enjoyed it, and I haven't seen it in years and years and years. So I watched it last night, and I was like, I forgot how terrible but good this movie is. Deliberately like, so. Yeah, and like the CGI. This was in night. This thing came out in '97. The mm -hmm. CGI on the bugs is actually really good. Oh yes, it is held up. Oh, absolutely. To, you don't understand. You know, the, you know what this movie lost special effects to? What? Titanic. Oh. It came out the same year, and I watched wow. that Oscars, and I was pissed that Titanic beat this movie for best special effects because those bug scenes are impressive. And for yeah. their time, I mean, the, yeah. the like dead bodies look terrible, mm. right? You could see, mm -hmm. you can tell that they're like mannequins and uh, uh, they're definitely not well done. There's some the rough CGI. Jump yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that like large parts of this movie hold up. And um, I think it's cool that you, you went, when, when you went back and rewatched it, that like, I, I think that the parts of it that are bad are deliberately so largely. It's an attempt at like, being farcical for the sake of the point of the the movie's particular uh, uh, bias or slant, mm -hmm. I think. Well, like like remember the fight scene between Johnny and Pretty Boy, whatever the fuck his name was, the the pilot mm -hmm. when they fought. When uh -huh. they, he says like you know rank is no issue here, yeah. and they and they fight. Did you notice the underscoring during that was like this guitar, like acoustic guitar music that was oh, so interesting, terrible. No, I didn't <laughs> notice, but like I didn't notice because I like the the choreo. I think they do really decent fight choreo in that scene, and I think yeah. like in general the fight choreo was really good. Like the sequence in the boot yeah. camp where they um they have a little bit of free fighting. Like it's re it's very very realistic feeling. Um, yeah, the uh, there's a, sort of a separate topic, mm -hmm. but something that I didn't realize at the time for sure because this came out when I was in seventh grade, mm -hmm. uh, and you know I haven't watched it in years, at least ten years. Uh, but watching it again, I didn't realize how sort of like how much it challenged the. Uh, what's the right term here? The sort of men women quality kind of a thing what's what's the word i'm looking for it advocates for? for kind of radical gender equality yeah it, it, the thing i found interesting was like sort of the the male approach of like well let's just go and kill some bugs like everyone died and then and then that person was the the man who was in charge of the admiral or whatever a woman resigned, and then a, a woman in charge, yeah and then a woman goes I in charge, and she's like, "We we need to think. We need to study this. We need to figure yeah, it yeah. out." And that wound up being a much better method, right? And almost every turn, right? You had a, a female captain, you had a female pilot. Like, it, you know, they're co-ed bathrooms. Every like, it's equal men and women who are the foot soldiers. Uh, There's definitely a lot of like equality that was clearly a, a very specific choice. Yeah, because the movie is a lefty movie. Like, it's a deliberate. Left, fucking libtards. It's, it's a lefty rewrite of the book, which is not deliberately lefty at all. Quite the opposite. It's not. Mm. It's not like fascist, but it's much more of a pro pro look at this play at this worldview. It, like it, like, uh, and in a sense, Heinlein views this as as an attempt to understand uh, a potential utopia, and like the movie tries to very clearly use it as a form of dystopia to sort of criticize the 1984 endless war kind of uh, mentality. 
Yeah, and I found it really interesting when Johnny has to get whipped in boot camp that it's a black man doing the whipping. Like, clearly a very specific choice there. Yeah, and the whipping shows up in the book, too. That's part of Heinlein's, like, traditionalism. Um, what's really interesting, this book is uh, uh, one of his, I think, his last young adult kind of books where he's, like, d- writing sort of deliberately for younger audiences. And it reads as kind of like a youth fiction book, um, in a sense, in the way that it doesn't it doesn't get into the horrors of war very well or very much at all. And it, it paints a kind of rosy, you know, uh, 17 and on, you know, you know, 14 to 17 year old picture of, mm-hmm. of that kind of world. And then the movie sort of cranks the 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 sex and the gore up to 11 and also cranks the like social satire up to 11 and it creates a very different kind of piece of art from the original. Yeah. I also found it interesting. The like overt uh, sensationalizing of war and sensationalizing of like killing and dominance and all of that, like the, the sequences where it's like, do you want to know more? And like a person with a mouse clicking, uh, uh, different parts of it, but it would sort of censor certain parts, which I thought was funny. Yeah. Like that, although they're advocating for the, you know, genocide of, of another species and, and they're, and they're talking about very graphic things, they'll show a little censor bar as if that's really going to do anything. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit of like a jab at the puritanical, the sanitization of these sorts of things. Like when you're trying to get people into these ideas, you don't want to show them how horrible, like if you showed it what the bug looks like when it kills the cow, like no one's going to enlist to go fight that bug. So like, mm-hmm. it's like the sanitizing for the sake of, of making it look safe for people to enlist and go do. Yeah. Which is a good critique. Like it's an interesting critique. The, um, the original doesn't glorify war by any stretch of the imagination. Like it doesn't make it seem heroic. There, there are a couple of sort of, I think straw man critiques of the original that we should bat down, uh, it isn't, in my opinion, an authoritarian book. It isn't a fascist book. It doesn't believe in like a Nazi kind of military militarized culture. It's a libertarian kind of culture. He's a libertarian style uh, thinker in a lot of ways in this and in Stranger in a Strange Land. And so instead of it being about like um, obsessive deference to the state, it's about individual responsibility and signing up for service. And in the book, service doesn't necessarily mean military service. There are non-military options. So, like, it it often gets falsely painted as, like, a hugely militaristically centered um, world, even even though it's mostly because this is about a militaristic experience within this structure. So, on the same lines, I sort of have a question, which is some things that other people have proposed, which I find interesting, and that is, Making a requirement for someone who, gra- after they graduate high school, mm-hmm. they have to do some sort of service, whether that's the Peace Corps, the military, uh, public office, you know, any, any sort, you know, service could be a very broad thing, like going and uh, working at a soup kitchen, that kind of stuff. Uh, and this, the movie, right, they talk about the difference between a civilian and a citizen, and they clearly talk about how the easiest way to get your citizenship is to join uh, the, was the Federation. Mm-hmm whatever the hell it's called. Um, so what, what's your perspective on that as a, uh, as a sort of social 
civilization construct of of requiring people to enlist in something, not specifically military, not specifically yeah. uh, Peace Corps, but it could even be just service in a very broad sense. Well, it's a really interesting idea because, like, he's writing this book in as a reaction against communism a little bit. Like, the, the bugs are supposed to be viewed as, like, hyper-communism. And, and America, they were, you know, you know, in this case, like, um, um, the, the new America. The Federation. Right? Like, democracy fails on this view, and, like, the Western democracies decline, and they're replaced by this new system, which glorifies individual responsibility, though, though in the book, not everyone is a member. Like, it, like, you know, a lot of people sort of look down on going and getting your franchise. Like, it's not necessarily even glorified within the book. Um, a lot of people sort of have the view of his parents in this, that it's not, like, it's not that big a deal and you shouldn't worry about it. So, you know, it's very balanced in that kind of way. And I think, I think there's an interesting discussion to be had about that model of individual responsibility and how many different groups that are often in disagreement sort of touch tails on this one. Like socialism would also come around to this idea, I think, you look at people like John Stewart talking about service and people like Barack Obama talking about service. And it sounds very similar where it's this idea of like trying to encourage individuals to uh, get engaged in their community in whatever way feels um, most functional for them. So, and the fact that he's a libertarian and that he's sort of really into this idea sort of suggests a way that we could try to, you know, build bridges with them on these particular topics. Yeah, it, it was interesting. One of my favorite quotes in the movie is when uh, that professor guy says, uh, you should make up your own mind because it's the only real power that you have. Right. And I, I love the reoccurring quote, service guarantees citizenship. Citizenship. Mm -hmm. And it's like... That propaganda. <laughs> right. But it's it's so interesting because like... One, you know, like when you listen, when you read the parts of the book and then watch the movie as well, where it's, this is part very similar, where he's having the debates with the um, the moral and ethics professor guy, like uh, the father from uh, um, that '70s show, who holds up so well. He's awesome. Um, when you read those parts, it's not, you know, oh, it's easy. Go get your citizenship. Do the right thing. Everyone should do it. It's quite the opposite. It's like. This is for people who are really serious about commitment to their community, and it, it's holding yourself to a higher standard than normal people necessarily need to hold themselves to, and no one should be looked down on for not doing this. And, like, you have to really consider the... Because, like, because he's such an individualist kind of person, he doesn't want it to be brainwashing everyone to go into service. He wants it to be, like, you know, this is going to be hard and it's challenging and you only should do it if you really feel like a need to prove yourself in this particular kind of way. Um, right. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's very similar to like uh, the Marine Corps in terms of their, like their outlook, right? Mm -hmm. You, someone doesn't join the Marine Corps because like, Oh, I want to join the military and I might as well join the Marine Corps. Like that doesn't happen. Right. They have quotas that they always meet. Like they've never not met their quotas because they have very specific expectations of people that join that. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's, and, and they're, they definitely say it's not for everyone. Right. Um, you know, the army is for everyone. <laughs> I'm probably going to get a lot of hate mail for saying that, but, uh, <laughs> uh, 
but the army is for everyone. The air force is, is for everyone. The Navy is for everyone. The Marines are, are definitely not for everyone. Just like, you know, special forces are not for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it sort of sets up a civilian as, as a, this isn't for everyone in exactly what you're saying, where it's not to be looked down on people that are civilians that are non-citizens, uh, but that it takes a special someone to be able to be at this level, which has responsibility associated with it. Yeah. And one thing that's that's interestingly different is the way that the combat happens in the book versus the movie. And it's sort of the movie wants to play up. And it feels to me like the kind of Vietnam angles a lot more. And so it's a lot more like grunts running headlong into a meat grinder kind of stuff over and over again. In the um, in the book, the combat is a lot more strategic and I think a lot more cool. And I think it's super unfortunate that like they lacked probably the technology to make the, the combat in the book look good in the place and time that they made the movie. In the book, they have... When, a, when was the book written? Uh, when is the book written? The book is written... Stand by. 59. Oh, this is a lot older than I thought it was. Yeah. So, um, but, and like, it's really interestingly sort of advanced in the way that he imagines the technology. They, the individuals, there's far less troops and they work in platoons of essentially super soldiers and they're super soldiers because they have these really powerful exosuits that make them basically like, like heavily militarized grasshoppers. Like they drop from space and what's really cool, the biggest difference, one of the biggest differences... That it's like you're describing Halo right oh, now. Oh, <laughs> it is. It's like hardcore Halo, because unlike in the book where... Or like, unlike in the movie where they, like, drop in um, in vessels and, like, ships mm-hmm. and, like, land and unload. And in the book, they all get zipped up into, into these little, like, coffin-like pods. And the pods get shot out of the ship and, like break orbit and explode and the person just like descends in these mechanized suits and then like bounces around blowing shit up like that is pretty cool <laughs> it's incredibly cool and it's all like there's these really interesting descriptions of like focus like how much training you have to have to like on the bounce what you know they, they always talk about like being on the bounce which means like being on top of every part of all the stuff you have to be paying attention to. And it's like, you know, where's my next landing site? How am I, you know, using all of my explosives properly? Like what information am I picking up as I, you know, hit the peak of my jump? Like it's really, really cool. So I'm, I'm sad that they shortchanged that a little bit in the, in the movie that they do some interesting stuff in the movie still with the violence. It's still pretty quality violence. Um, but it, yeah, you know, in the, in the book, because they do it that way, it feels more like specialized service. It doesn't feel like, you know, idiots to a meat grinder, the way that the liberal slanted movie is trying to be like, you know, we shouldn't in any way praise this sending of children to endlessly be murdered by these giant bugs. It's fascinating. It it makes a lot more things make sense now that I know when the book was written. Mm-hmm. And he was, uh, it was very quickly written and in response to the ceasing of nuclear testing, interestingly enough. Mm. And he was in the midst of writing Stranger in a Strange Land when it was being written. And he stopped writing that and wrote this very quickly. He writes all of his books fairly quickly. Um, and this was sort of like concern that America wasn't going to keep up with um, military advancement in regard to our communist enemies, pretty much. Fucking commies, man. Yep. Uh, other interesting... It, it, yeah. 
it, it's interesting because the stark opposite is Star Trek, which is, if you really look at it, is essentially Marxism, right? Like true Marxism yes. and not communism, which I, a lot of people conflate those two things. Yeah, it's like post-Marxism, post right? Where it's like you've abolished all scarcity and by abolishing, well, not all scarcity, but you've abolished relative scarcity of any sort. Like, But it's even things like there really isn't money. I mean, they talk I about mean, credits. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, which is part of what Marxism even said, right? He even, like, when, when Karl Marx wrote his thing, he even said, like, the world isn't ready for this yet. Mm -hmm. and, and in Starship Troopers, the society is affluent and futuristic. It's, it's techno-advanced in the book as well. So it's not like, you know, people are going into service because they need the money or something like that. It's all right. about... Yeah, yeah, where, where they go, where they're in the shower, and they're like, why are you doing this? Why well, I want to be a politician. Yep. I want to have a baby. Like, oh, you have to get a license to have a baby. Uh -huh. It's, a, it's an interesting idea, and it's an interesting, like, discussion about responsibility. I think ultimately, like, tying voting to anything of those sorts is, is a bad idea. But I think encouraging, you know, some sort of unified system of service that, like, as many people as possible can go into is a really good idea. Yeah. I think that's cool. Uh, also in the book that doesn't show up in the movie, there's a third species called the skinnies who are, like um humanoid ground you know surface dwelling species that has been um sort of enslaved slash is subject to the bugs at the beginning of the book and by the end has switched over to the side of the of the humans and is helping mm. fight the war against the bugs these are these represent you know the the satellite countries that America was engaged in puppet wars with over the course of this period in time in history, I think. Yeah. So that's another really interesting difference. Yeah, it's interesting. The uh, I didn't really realize until just now, the movie like doesn't really give you any like reason why. Like, where did like how did we encounter these bugs? Mm -hmm. Like, why are we at war with them? Like it like and there's no sense of that things get being over. Um, I know there was a second movie, which I didn't see. There's several I more, which I'm I have not seen. There's a second what? I'm There's sorry? multiple more, which I have not seen. Oh, really? Oh, yes. I thought there was just a second one. It was like in 2004. No, it would take some extra Patreon money, I think, for us to have to watch those. <laughs> I feel like this is our version of, like, void awful movies. Right. seriously. <laughs> uh, yeah, so in, in the original story... Um, it's not clearly explained how the conflict sort of began. They do have some similar steps where like the Battle of Clendathu happens where humans overcompensate and, and get murdered in large part. And then like mm -hmm. the end goal is to capture is, is, is a mission to capture a brain bug basically so that we can you mean vagina, bug? a giant vagina bug like that face, like tell like that. It works. Totally though. looks like a vagina. On a like Lovecraftian level, it works. You know, even and like what's impressive is usually CGI in that time looked awful in any sort of light. It always looked terrible, and you know, it only looked decent in the dark. But like mm -hmm. the 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 CGI in that movie is just pretty much as good in the light as in the dark. They really were meticulous. Yeah, and and it was clear that like some parts were animatronic or or physical. Yeah. And then other parts that were CGI, but 
The distinction was very hard to tell. So the story goes, they were out in the field using giant things to break up the dust and like create dust movement in real life. And then CGIing the bugs over that like dust cloud to make it look like those waves of bugs were kicking up dirt as they were coming in. That's cool. Yeah. In the I le- what a special bonus uh, point is that the fact that like that space colony that they have to defend is a Mormon space colony. Yeah, I love. No, that. I caught that. <laughs> Heinlein's got an interesting obsession with the Mormons. Like Stranger in a Strange Land has a uh, uh, cult in it that feels very much like the Mormons in a lot of ways, and I think he was kind of obsessed with them in some in some way. Well, and it aligns very easily with mm-hmm. the sort of Mormon theology in so much as they talk about uh, uh, different planets and people getting different planets when they die. And so there's a lot of, like, if we if we were capable of interstellar, interstellar travel, uh, then I, like, the Mormons would be the first ones who would want to go out and colonize different planets, for sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, another... What I love about that is um, f- fans of The Expanse, which is a television show by Sci-Fi Channel, will also love this because in that one, there's a huge plot arc having to do with a giant spaceship built on spec by the Mormons to fly out into space and convert aliens. So it's a giant Mormon spaceship with a huge angel on the end of it. It's such a great, it's such a great plot arc. Dum 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 dum. <laughs> sport 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 sport. <laughs> um, oh man, it's one of the best South Park episodes ever. Yeah, I want to throw out some other things that uh, hold up in the movie. For those, like, I feel like there's a bit of a like, let's trash talk the movie as not being as sophisticated as the book. And I want to be honest, like, I love the book. The book is also unsophisticated. It's a little ham-handed. It's a little too pro military it's like you know there's a whole there's a whole story another difference in it is that um spoiler alert in the movie the father dies right in the buenos aires Mm -hmm. attack in the book the father survives and comes back later as a a colonel or a corporal oh shit the lower one um Corporal. corporal yes thank you as a corporal um who you know at this point like Rico has built his way up to being in the leadership. He's like, he's like studying to become a leadership. He can become an officer basically. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. he comes across uh, his father who has become um, a corporal and like has a sort of, you know, Oh, I respect what you, the choice you made now and I didn't respect it before kind of a moment. Mm -hmm. And then at the very end, um, the father ends up as a Sergeant within um, Rico's platoon. Um, so there's a, bu- oh, there's wow. a bunch of moments within the story of like Rico, you know, his life, his life choices are affirmed by him ending up in a power and leadership and respect position with like all of the father figures in the story, including, you know, like you see in the movie, um, um, his teacher, but also uh, Zim in the, the story is under command from him in the, right. the book during the clandath or during the, the brain bug. Um, fight. Zim, Zim was his uh, um, drill sergeant, yeah. right? And uh, like of all yeah. the things in the movie that hold up, like nothing holds up harder than Clancy Brown as Sergeant Zim. That is yeah. the best drill sergeant since Full Metal Jacket. Clancy Brown oh, is yeah. a hero. 
Yeah, and his stuff that he's done in like the Marvel universe has been really good too. He is an American treasure. Go watch Carnival. Like you, you've earned it. Like, oh yeah, I've, I've I've watched oh it. Oh my god, I'm telling all of our fans to go watch it because Clancy. Anything yeah. that with Clancy Brown in it immediately gets plus ten points. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you still need to watch the leftovers. I do. Is Clancy Brown in that? No, oh. but there's so many philosophical things I really want to bring up right now, but I can't because you haven't seen it. All right, we'll watch the leftovers. Because we'll do you're leftovers an un- uncultured swine. You're, you fucking haven't read Dune. Go eat a dick. Yeah, I don't read novels. I read Go reference books. Go watch the movie. Go watch the television series. I've seen the movie, but I watched Go it forever like, ago, and it was God, terrible. Suck everything. <laughs> uh, other great things from the show or from the movie: uh, Doogie Howser. As, oh as, yeah, Doogie is really good. As the Nazi space wizard. I love the Nazi right? space wizard outfit. That that has like mental mind powers. Yep. Yep. He doesn't survive in the original. He's like sort of a character who gets written out as the not a not character um relative to the story. So like <sighs> um in the in the movie I felt like they really wanted to like ham up the class and cultural distinctions. So, like, they had to have the super smart friend to make Rico look stupid, and they had to have, mm-hmm. like, the smart girlfriend to make Rico look stupid, and, like, so stuff like that, I think. they that, There wasn't as much of that. Like, in the, in the original, it, there's also not as much sex. There's no, there's no, there's no sex in the original. Like, what? You no, know, it's, it's super, like, um, young adult. Puritanical? Like young adult puritanical pedestrian in a lot of ways. Like, he saves himself for Carmen for the whole story and like Dizzy dies in the first drop like oh. like early on and like is not is not the same character as in the movie so like there isn't a whole romantic subplot it's all male it's it's very male-esque it's it, like like I can't be on and I'll be honest with you like the women are not you're not going to enjoy it as much it's it's men going off and learning how to be men and then, like, earning the respect of other men. And so... Which isn't surprising for being written in 59. Yep. Yep. So we're going to need to get Heroes of the Week that counteract that by being women who go off and be awesome women in space. Yeah. I just... I had this thought while you were talking. Mm-hmm. It, I, because of, like, what happens with Doogie and, like, being able to sort of, like, mentally tell Rico which hole to go down, mm-hmm. like the ferret, mm-hmm. I wonder if this is, like, a super prequel to Star Wars. Yeah, and that and that he has just a high midi chlorian count, and that's why he's able to yeah use the force. Everybody was obsessed with that extrasensory stuff. Nobody did it as well as Paul Muad'Dib, though, as we learned in the A segment. Well, we didn't learn anything oh, because we I didn't know something. anything about it. <laughs> uh, okay, so what do we got? Final thoughts on Starship Troopers. If we, if we miss anything uh, I think importance. it's it's for a movie that's 20 years old it totally stands up uh it is uh clearly has a lot to say in terms of society which is interesting um it's terrible in ways in terms of like the acting is bad um uh but those parts sort of make it enjoyable um and uh, uh my girlfriend who is not a big fan of action movies was engaged the whole time mm-hmm. It, just as a as a something I noticed, it's very thinky. Uh, but despite being you know like sort of blockbustery and like you know tits and guns kind of stuff, there's also a lot of like thought. And like the original is very thinky for like it's a short book. You can read it pretty quick, and I recommend that like people 
read it and watch the movie and like look at the contrast. It's a really interesting one. Um, it's a lot of talking and not a lot of interesting combat. And like like the stuff I described earlier, I find very interesting because of how it represents the sort of one view of a peak of militaristic achievement where you have super powerful sort of almost invincible individuals who are sort of hopping around destroying sort of lower lower capacity opponents. So that part is interesting, but um, it doesn't it doesn't have a bunch of fight scenes in it. It's a lot of like, let's talk about what makes sense and what doesn't. And like, you know, is force um, the ultimate good? And like, is there any inalienable rights or something like that? Like those parts are really, really interesting, I think. Yeah. Oh. yeah I know the book definitely sounds interesting. Yeah. If I was, if I actually enjoyed reading novels, I actually might pick it up. What do you think about this argument? This is a central argument that he puts forward in the book that everything comes down to force. So he, uh, in the form of the teacher, is sort of disrespectful of the idea, the modern liberal idea of like intrinsic rights that are enshrined and protected or something like that. What he thinks is, you know, the only rights that exist are the rights that could be taken by force. And so force is the ultimate decider of, you know, what can be achieved and what can't, what is, what is good and what isn't. And that like, when it comes to something like the bugs, you're not going to win by... Um, you know, convincing them of your perspective. You're going to win by outsmarting them and then beating them. Yeah, I mean, history has shown that most things, uh, most civilizations have been created by force, right? I mean, uh, the, ex the Western expansion was all done by force. Um, you know, Napoleon mm -hmm. was all about force. Like, force is definitely a, something that is, I think, you know... It has to do with a bit of tribalism, a bit of stoicism, and a bit of, like, it's easy to sort of, like, if no one's watching, I can go over and, and take the candy from the baby, and there's no repercussions, right? I think in a society where, as we're sort of seeing in the current climate, when you put light to something and more people can see it, it's easier to sort of, in numbers... Uh, uh, sort of stop that kind of behavior um, and that there's a different moral landscape in that. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Sure. That like, you know, it, it, back when we talked with your dad about uh, narcissism, we talked about how different periods of time, different traits were either good or bad or, or mm, that, those are bad ways to put it. But, you know, someone who was a narcissist in the 1600s would probably achieve better things, mm -hmm. achieve a better life just because in being a narcissist, you were able to survive easier. Mm -hmm. Because sort of Heinlein comes from a libertarian and slightly conservative libertarian leaning, he, he in his, you know, like if he glorifies anything, he glorifies that kind of re returning to um, those kind of virtues. Right. And this is all about virtue development for individuals and like what is the proper method to develop virtue. And like the goal of that virtue is to provide the capacity to prevent harm to ones you care about. Because like one of the morals of the, the story is, you know, war isn't good. It's horrible. Like both the book and the movie agree. 
war is ultimately horrible. You can put a fake face on it, but like, it's not great. Um, but as Napoleon said, history is written by the winners. Right. And like the goal should be not to eliminate war, but to keep war away from the people you love and to win. Like those are the re- the most reasonable goals one can have. I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like I'm getting tired of winning. There's so much winning. <laughs> All the winning. Yeah. Later when we have a war with North Korea and it feels a lot like Starship Troopers, we'll, um, we'll check back in on this one. <laughs> well, th- Are you calling the North Koreans bugs? <laughs> Did you just do that? I'm not calling them that, but I can promise you Donald Trump will tweet that at some point. Mm. Yeah, I, I already can read the tweet in my head. One criticism of the original is that it allows too easily for the dehumanizing of the bugs. It makes the realities of war overly simplified by creating such an easily dehumanized enemy. Whereas in the movie, they are clearly using that as part of their satire. They're pointing out that like this is an obvious, you know, um, an obvious example of like the real world situation where like in Rwanda they call them cockroaches or whatever. Like mm-hmm. we call we call the people we, we want to kill bugs. So like that's an important part of the thing. And like the fact that the fact that Heinlein doesn't have a little bit more self-awareness towards that is probably a little problematic. And like what he comes back to in Starship Troopers is a little more, I think, mature. Or, sorry, uh, what came what, what, sorry, uh, what he comes back to in Stranger in a Strange Land is a little bit more developed and mature than where he's at, I think, with this particular story. But I think that it's wrong to say that this story is super extreme, just like it's wrong to say that the original, uh, it's wrong to say that the movie is super extreme either. I think they're both um, interesting points on the discussion spectrum. Do you know how old he was when he wrote both the books? I Because that might be, that might help us a little bit understand. I know that he'd been in the military. Um, mm. uh, so he was born in 1907. Mm. And what did I say? So he was in his fifties yeah. when he wrote it. Yeah. 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 So he went through the depression. He went through world war one and two. Is he, is he, uh, American? Uh, yes. Yeah. American. That paint, paints that picture a lot more clear. Yeah. Clearly. He looks, um, ironically, he looks sort of like, um, do you ever watch, uh, lost? Oh Yeah. He looks like the actor who played Locke, bald mm. guy. He looks a yeah, lot yeah, yeah. like him, which is a lot like what um, they make the teacher look like in the movie with the guy from that 70s show. I think probably a little deliberately there since the teacher, like of all the characters in the story, the teacher is probably the most um, Heinlein's voice coming through directly. I didn't realize that when they did the dissection in class that Blanche was, was the teacher there. Oh, yeah, yeah. For the Golden Girls. Yeah. <laughs> That's such a great scene. There's so many fun little scenes within the movie that I think are really wonderful. Yeah. No, I think that's great. Um, yeah. All right. So thanks so, uh, so much for that. Um, hit us up with other sci-fi stuff or, or pieces of fiction or art that you think that like would be really good for us to do a little analysis of. Obviously, I'm going to have to force this one to approach Frank Herbert properly. Um, but other than that, like we will... Uh, branch out. I think there are lots of lots of things to tie in that are that are of our philosophical vein. So, 
I, I feel like we need to talk about something that I know a hell of a lot more than you about. We'll get there. Like computers or something, or programming. Yeah. <laughs> or sound design. <laughs> we can do that. You can have a sound design person on it, and you guys can talk, and I can ask stupid questions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know shit about sound. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> we would like to thank our top patrons, Jesse Rabinowitz, Dave Maslich, Abe, Peasants with Pitchforks and Glow Sticks, Chad Trait and his universal greeting from Transformers, and new and improved Reasonable Risk, 33% more reasonable for 2018. If you would like to become a patron, find us at patreon.com slash embrace the void. As always, remember, you are the void and the void is you. <laughs>